So we're carrying on our series looking at the kingdom of God. A while ago, Clemence and I were in the queue at Tesco, and I don't really know why we started this conversation, but it was this. Clemence, of all the things you know Jesus has said, and all the stories that he's told, what or which one annoys you and irritates you the most? So it's an unusual conversation, because Jesus said many things and some things were really difficult. And we both looked at each other and said, the story about the labourers in the vineyard is the story that annoys and irritates us the most. Probably in second place is the story of the prodigal son. So... So I'm going to read the parable a little later, but um, I'm going to tell you the story. And it's really the story about three sets of employees. And the first group get employed around about six o'clock in the morning before the sun has really come up. And they're told, go into my vineyard, I want to employ you for the day, and I'm going to pay you the wage of an unskilled labourer or the wage of a soldier at the time, which was a denarii, which I guess equivalent now might be £35. So they make an agreement, go into the field for £35, work for the whole day. Then the master of the vineyard goes out and looks for some more workers, around nine in the morning, and he says to the second group, I will pay you whatever is right. So he doesn't make a deal, it doesn't tell him what he's going to pay, but whatever is right, I'm going to pay you. Then at three o'clock in the afternoon, he goes out and finds some more and says, come and work in the vineyard. There's still three hours left to work. And then he goes out at the 11th hour, which is around about five in the afternoon, and finds some other guys who hadn't been working all day. And he says to them, come and work in my vineyard. And now here's the shock. And this is the bit where some of us might become offended, irritated and annoyed. So the first people to get paid are the last who got employed. So they come to the master to receive their wage. They're not really sure what they're gonna get. Will they get one hour's pay? Will they get more? They don't really know, there's no deal being done. So they arrive at the master and the master pays them for a whole day's work even though they've only done one hour so the other guys who have been in the field all day since six in the morning till six at night are thinking to themselves wow if those who did an hour got 35 pound i wonder if we'll get double that i wonder if we'll get more than that i wonder if we'll get 50 i wonder what we'll get certainly we must be getting more than those who got employed last and so when the first employed come to the master to receive their wage, they get just a day's wages exactly the same as those who worked just an hour. And they weren't happy. Now a teacher in a primary school recreated this parable for her children and said, if you do this job, You'll, you'll get a pound. And uh, some kids did more than the other kids and they worked harder. 
And then the teacher recreated the parable. And those who'd only done a little bit went to the teacher and got their pound. And then those who had worked longer and harder and done more went to the teacher. And they also got a pound. Do you know what the children said? Miss, that's not fair. I'm going to go and tell my mum and dad. <laughs> so this parable confronts something quite deep within us. And we can kind of understand it in two ways. The kind of slot machine mentality. You know, like if I put this in, I get this out. And also we're going to come to understand, sorry Joe, the bookkeeping mentality. Joe looks after books. The bookkeeping mentality who keeps a record of everything and knows exactly what they've put in and what they expect out. This parable in Matthew 20 is actually answering a question that Peter asked Jesus. Peter is evaluating what he's put into the kingdom. He's working out how much he's laboured, how much he's worked. And he asks Jesus this question. See, we've left everything to follow you. What then will we have? We put this much in, what do we get out? And then the parable in Matthew 20 kicks off with saying, for the kingdom of heaven is like. So that phrase for, or when we see therefore in the Bible, we need to look above and see what went before. For the kingdom of heaven is like. This parable of the workers in the field is telling us the way that Jesus thinks, the way that he sees the world. How many of you know that the kingdom of King Jesus, the kingdom of heaven, as Matthew puts it, which is the same as saying the kingdom of God, is nothing like our mindset and nothing like the kingdoms of this age, as we heard prayed out earlier on. Nothing like it whatsoever. The kingdom of God turns everything on its head. It turns everything on its head. It turns everything we understand around what we put in and what we get out on its head. Jesus is saying in this kingdom, hey Peter, the kingdom of God is not a slot machine kingdom. The kingdom of God is not a bookkeeping kingdom. It's so different to the way that you think. And this parable is saying, my generosity the way I distribute what belongs to me, Jesus, will actually offend you and provoke something in you that might irritate you and annoy you and shock you. That's what this parable is doing. The way I think, Jesus is saying, may offend you and cause you offence. And there's a real warning in this parable in that if we don't adjust the way we think to the way Jesus thinks, we can fall into what happened to these guys, we can fall into grumbling. And that's what I'm going to talk about mostly this morning is the danger of grumbling when we don't adjust 
to the way the kingdom of God thinks. So the first hired had this bookkeeping mentality. And when we read the parable, we see that they kept a record of everything that they had done that day. They knew how many hours they had worked. They knew that they had endured discomfort and they had endured the heat of the sun. They considered their back-breaking labour as they'd laboured under a Middle Eastern sun from six in the morning and during the hottest time of the day at midday. They kept a record of all of it. And then these other guys turn up at the 11th hour, five in the afternoon, the cool of the day, the sun is going down. And they look at them and they think, you arrived at the end of the day, you got it cool, you got it easy, and they were not happy, and they were envious, and then shockingly, they grumbled at their master. We deserved better. This is not fair. We're going to tell our mum and dad on you, Jesus, because you are not a fair master, or this master is not fair. So they grumbled, and they complained, and they moaned, and they murmured against their master, because he had turned their world upside down. He had turned their system upside down, and they didn't like it. It isn't fair, they grumbled. And the kingdom turns our world upside down. And the, 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 the kingdom can offend us as we think other people got a better deal. So grumbling is rooted in this idea that the king of the universe is not allowed to do what he wants with his grace and with his Resources, And so in the story, the master says, am I not allowed to be generous to who I want to be generous to? What's it to you if I pay them for a whole day and I pay them the same as you? What's it to you if I make everything equal in the way I work my generosity out? They begrudged and they compared and they were envious and they grumbled because the story Jesus is showing, and he's saying it to Peter, and he's saying it to us, it's revealing this slot machine mentality that we can have with God. That we can have with God a bookkeeping mentality with God. And Jesus is saying, be careful in this story, be careful, Peter, because this, this bookkeeping can lead to comparison, can lead to envy, can lead to entitlement. I deserve this from God. And can lead to grumbling against God. And it looks a bit like this. I put prayer in. I put giving in. I, I put serving in. I've sacrificed for you, God, I should get X, Y, and Z out. I'm entitled to this. I deserve this. I should have this. 
This is what I must have. And then we look and compare and say, I see another person. And I know they don't give as much as I give. And I know they don't come along to church as much as I come along to church, maybe. And I don't think they serve as much as me. And I don't think they've sacrificed as much as me. And then we look at that other person and we look at them and we say, Ah, the (coughs) king has given them these opportunities. And the king has given them this kind of gifting. It's the kind of gifting I wanted. I wanted that gift. But you've rewarded this person who's Johnny come lately with exactly the thing that I wanted. I wanted this kind of success. I wanted these resources. And we grumble against God. And we might murmur to one another. The kingdom of God is not fair, we conclude. And the king himself is not just. I've been serving faithfully, we think. I've never complained. I'm always here. And then someone else just becomes a born-again Christian in the 11th hour. And I've been at it for 30 years. And they become a Christian in the 11th hour. And do you know what they're doing? Do you know what they're doing? Oh, they're they're only going and healing the sick and raising the dead. And they've only just become a believer in the 11th hour. They opened a blind eye last week and a deaf ear opened. The king's not fair. I've been pressing in for this for 20 years. And this person turns up and gets exactly what I wanted. And it can happen between churches as well. Church leaders compare one another to one another and see the labour that goes on as a church might work through the heat of the sun, keeping a record of the hours they've worked. And then new church plant just arrived on the block, never worked in the heat of the sun. The 11th hour, they're seeing signs, wonders, miracles, people saved, and they're seeing incredible fruitfulness in a way that maybe another group wishes. See, the people who are most tempted to grumble are the people who have been at it the longest. The most tempted to grumble are the six in the morning, all the watchers of the day, heat of the sun, laboring throughout the day, are the most tempted to grumble and compare and complain and to moan because they feel they deserve better. It's an amazing story of how Jesus turns everything on its head. It's a wonderful story as well, is you might be a person who's lived your life without God. You might have been away from God your whole life. You might be an 11th hour person. And you can get into the kingdom today in the 11th hour at the end of the day, even at the end of your, your natural age of life, and you suddenly think, I'm in, and you're the same as someone who's been in 30, 40, 50, 60 years. That's how the grace of God works. And so grumbling is this, it's not fair, God's unjust, I deserve, I merit, I did this, I did that. I serve and I didn't get the, the, the recognition that I wanted. I'm disappointed and I'm frustrated. And Jesus is saying, the kingdom of heaven does not work on the basis of merit. 
The kingdom of heaven works entirely on the basis of the generosity and the grace of the king alone. He does what he pleases with what belongs to him. Everything is by grace and grace alone. Like the apostle Paul could say, I am what I am by the grace of God. I want to say that this story is powerful because grumbling against God is spiritually incredibly dangerous. As believers, sometimes we categorise sins and we say, this is a really dangerous sin and this is not such a dangerous sin and this one it could really damage you and this one couldn't. But the Bible is pretty clear, damaging uh, grumbling is spiritually dangerous. Grumbling is actually whispered rebellion against God. When we grumble, we're actually saying, I don't trust your generous heart towards me. We, in effect, turn to the king and say, not good enough. It's a murmuring, moaning, whispered rebellion. And we feel justified because it's rooted in comparison. It's rooted in entitlement. Another way of understanding uh, the word grumbling, the Hebrew apparently talks in terms of two phrases. It's whispered rebellion and it's growling against God. If a dog growls, it's, it's telling you two things. Back off, I'm about to bite you. Growl, grumbling is growling against God. It's looking at God and going, I'm going to show you my teeth. Because you've not been just and fair and generous towards me. It's a spiritually dangerous thing because we go down a track of becoming hostile and opposed to God. Of not liking God because he hasn't given what we think we deserve in comparison to someone else we perceive as work less. Grumbling is powerful because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 10, he says, actually what happened to Israel is written there as an, a warning to us. And actually what happened to Israel, why did so many of them not make it to the promised land? Why did only two make it? The really... Really, it's because of grumbling. It's because they began to grumble. In effect, they were grumbling against God. They had this bitter resentment towards God that took a whole generation out. And this is, a, this is a, an interesting phrase that they kind of, through grumbling, they opened themselves up to a spirit that destroys they, it says, says that the, 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 the one translation says that they opened himself up to the destroyer that destroys. That's really frightening, isn't it? That, that this thing that seems so justified and innocuous and so fair to speak growls and resentment towards God or to one another 
actually, for a whole generation, it opened them up to the spirit that destroys. That grumbling can lead to a shipwreck of our, our faith and our enjoyment and our pleasure in God. You see, Jesus turns the whole world upside down. In a sense, he's not in a sense, he literally says the first, the, the first become the last and the last become the first. Jesus is shocking. If you think about it, he took a few men and women, most of them uneducated, and they became the educators of the educated in their day. They, they just said, look, these guys have been around Jesus. They're not, they're not rabbis or they're not Pharisees, they're not Sadducees. They're just ordinary men who have been around Jesus. He takes the uneducated and he says, I'm going to make the uneducated the educator of the educated. And he takes the people in the lowest position and he elevates them into the position of the highest. He's so, so, everything Jesus says is so provocative. It's like the, the story of the prodigal son is so provocative. I want my inheritance, says the younger. Inheritance wasn't money, it was land. It was the land they lived on. It wasn't just he went into the bank and got some cash out. That he, he, they sold their inheritance to release the capital. And then the son goes away and squanders it and messes up. And then he comes back and then provocatively... The father restores him into the position of sonship and restores him into the position of re-inheriting. And then the older brother hears about it. I, I, I relate to the older brother. I get the older brother. I'd be annoyed like the older brother. The older brother says, you sold the land that belonged to us. We're, we're actually poorer. Our generations are going to be poorer because of this decision you made father to sell land to give it to him now he's come back and do you know what that means there's even less now you've made him a co-heir again with me we're even poorer and i've been in the field in the sun slaving away working away and you know what i've done everything you asked i've never rebelled i've never squandered i've never done anything wrong i haven't even asked for a party and then he comes back and he wants it all again. Oh, brilliant. Oh, brilliant. Why don't we give him everything? Oh, I don't. This son of yours, he's not even my brother. I want nothing to do with him. I've never asked for anything. And the father's saying, come in to the party. No. And, he's, and, the, and the story stops with the son in the party, the younger one and the older one outside grumpy and saying it's not fair. And Jesus just stops the story. And we don't know what happens. He just grumbled. He grumbled. A whole generation got took out by grumbling. And Jesus is saying, the kingdom doesn't work the way you think it works. You see, we live in a culture that's a meritocracy culture, apparently. I don't believe entirely that it's true, that everybody gets what they merit. I don't honestly think it is entirely true because I know incredibly, incredibly, incredibly intelligent people who don't have a piece of paper and the system doesn't quite elevate them in the way that it should. So I don't think it's completely meritocracy. The kingdom of God is certainly not a meritocracy and it's certainly not a slot machine. Jesus just says, I'll do what I want with what I've got. He's amazing. The way he, he'll go to one person and he'll just... 
give them everything you think you wanted and you think they don't merit it. He doesn't give on the basis of what we merit or deserve. But what he does say is this. Everybody here is equal in value, status and worth in the king's eyes. Everybody here is a son and daughter of the king. He makes us all brothers and sisters. The kingdom creates a new kind of family where he sets aside comparison, where he sets aside entitlement, where he sets aside rivalry. And he gives each and every one of us grace. That's what Ephesians 4 says. Jesus ascended and gave grace to who? To people, to you, to me, so that the whole universe might be filled with a revelation of his grace. Each and every one of us has grace. Each and every one of us has a calling. Each and every one of us has a gift. And we as sons and daughters are to take that and lovingly serve one another in the king's royal family. But when we get into comparison, when we get into grumbling, when we get into entitlement, we lose complete sight of the fact the king has been generous to me too. We lose sight of our uniqueness, our calling, our grace, our capacity, our gifting, because we become overwhelmed with a sense of jealousy and envy at someone else that we can't even see the fact that we carry amazing grace. You see, it's much better to make a decision in our hearts to say, I am going to follow King Jesus. And I'm going to rest in the fact that the king is generous. He's generous to that person. He's generous to me. He's generous to all his family. He is moved with generosity for the whole earth. The first group actually, all they actually got, those first employed who worked all the hours, what they got is just fair and no more. They got a contract for a wage of being an untrained labourer. The second group, the others, got more than they expected. See, our best position and our best posture is this. Lord Jesus Christ, I love you and I'm so grateful to be called your son and your daughter. You have captivated my heart and I'm so grateful that you are my king and I get to be in your kingdom. You have my yes. You have my yes. I don't need a contract with you. I don't need you to tell me if I put this in, I'll get this out. I don't want a contract with you because I don't want just fair and no more. I want grace. And those who simply said yes and trusted got his gracious generosity. The last workers got so much more than they ever imagined and expected. It's much better just to say, I love you, Jesus, than keep a, 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 a book of all that you've done and all that you've given. 
Indeed, we, it's a biblical declaration he gives beyond our imagination and it overflows. But the first, the first instinct, even on in our financial giving, is not a contractual kind of giving, that we work out a contract of, if I give 10%, will I get 12% back? Is I pour out everything I have to the king, including my time and my energy and my gifts and my talents and my creativity and my energy and my imagination. I'm not keeping a book of it. I'm just happy to know you personally, King Jesus. I'm happy to be engaged and included in the king's work. I just love you and I love doing this for you. And remember, Jesus plants you in the field of the world, not just the local church. You've got grace and calling for your workplace, wisdom to bring reconciliation, prophetic words that you can bring to call out destiny of the people you work with, gifts of healing that you can heal the sick where you are, grace that's going to bring wisdom and breakthrough and solutions and even profitability to the businesses and the organisations you are part of. Is saying, I love that you've assigned me a part of the vineyard that I can work in. I love the fact that whether I perceive I'm seen or hidden, successful or unsuccessful in the measurements of the world, in your eyes I'm loved and I'm a royal son and I'm part of a royal priesthood. That you and me, in working for the king and his vineyard, get to fill the universe with the glory of God. We get to fulfill the promise of Habakkuk as the waters cover the sea. So the knowledge of the glory of the Lord is going to happen. And we get to be part participants in that. We get to, to, to do what they do in um, Coldplay concerts where they each get a wristband and they light up the whole stadium. Have you seen that? Or in old-fashioned rock concerts, it might be a lighter. They all wave the lighter. <laughs> or now it's I put my torch on my phone and create, create a whole thing in a Duran Duran save a prayer moment at the end of the concert. But thousands and thousands and thousands of participants holding what they carry make a spectacular light. And that's who we're to be. But when we grumble and compare and complain and murmur and moan and say to God, it's not fair. It's like we hide our light under a bushel. We, we don't show who we are. You're made to glorify God. Indeed, John 17 says, you are glorious because Jesus has shared his glory with you. Heaven sees you as glorious. You shine. The king has made you glorious. And you're going from glory to glory to glory. So shine where you live. Shine where God has planted you. Shine in every opportunity you have to glorify the king, as it were, in the vineyard of his world. So Lord Jesus, we thank you for the unique and glorious privilege that we have in your wonderful kingdom. God, cause us to be those who look at a brother and sister and just say, I'm so grateful for what you carry. I'm so grateful for the gift that you have. You're such a blessing to me. I honour you and I receive what you carry. And then another person will say to you, I love what you carry. I love your hospitality. I, I love your infectious laugh. I love the joy that you bring. I love your insights and the way you love and care. And we honour one another. We honour one another in your name, Jesus, so that you might be glorified in this world, so that the world might look at the church and might look at believers and say, wow, 
They are amazing the way they shine. They are amazing the way they shine. And I pray for any here, if you may not have even made a decision yet, and you might be thinking, I don't think it's much point me making a decision for Jesus right now. I've wasted so many of my years. And this parable comes to you and says, don't have those vain regrets. You could be an 11th hour person and get right in the kingdom today. And you'll be included and accepted and loved exactly as someone who's been in the kingdom from the six o'clock hour. Matthew 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for the vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarii a day, day's wages, he sent them into his vineyard. And getting out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went, going out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour he did the same. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found the others standing. And he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarii. Now those who had, hired, who had been hired first came and thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master, saying, master of the house, saying, These last workers only worked one hour, and you have made them equal to those who bore the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to, the one, to one of them, Friend, am I doing you so wrong? Did you not receive with me? Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to the last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I chose, choose with what belongs to me, or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. And that's Matthew 20.